following is a teaching from Irving Bible Church. For more information on how you can join us on a Sunday or take your next step, visit irvingbible.org. Well, good morning, IBC. My name is Sissy. I'm one of the pastors here, and I'm so glad whether you're here in the room or you're joining us online. I'm so glad that you're worshiping with us this morning. As Jason mentioned, we are in the fourth Sunday of our Advent series that we've entitled Rediscover the Wonder. Because quite often this season is filled with a sense of the familiar. And that's not necessarily a bad thing, but what can sometimes happen is we become so familiar, so comfortable with it, that we end up missing the wonder of it all. And so this morning, we're going to be talking about the wonder of love, the wonder of God's love as we reflect upon this season of Advent. Now, we are six days away from Christmas. And even as I said that, I I saw some of you get really nervous because you have so much to do. It's one of the busiest times of year. You have parties to go to, uh, concerts and recitals to attend for your kids. You got to get the decorations out, the stockings hung, the tree up. Some of you even have giant inflatables on your lawn of Santa and his sleigh and Frosty, all sorts of things. Our executive pastor, Brian Eck, has a giant snowman with a Whataburger sign on his front lawn. (laughs) Now, if that doesn't scream Christmas in Texas, I don't know what does. And I love Christmas. It is my favorite time of year. I'm here for all of it. But... At the heart of Christmas isn't Santa or Frosty or even a giant snowman with the Whataburger sign. At the heart of Christmas is a baby. That's who we celebrate, a baby. Friends of mine are uh, expecting their first child. And so they're in the midst of trying to pick a name for their soon-to-be-born baby boy. And they've looked at family names. They've looked at the most popular names out there right now. They've done their research. They've talked about names of their favorite celebrities or artists. They even put out a survey to their family and friends to help them decide on a name. We put a lot of thought into naming a baby, don't we? But in biblical times, naming worked a little differently than it does today. You didn't pick a name because you liked the sound of it. You didn't pick a name uh, because it was your favorite relative or celebrity. You didn't pick a name because it was one of the most popular names out there. In biblical times, your name was your identity. It said something about who you were, your character, and your purpose in the world. And so throughout the scriptures, we see God rename people when he gives them a new purpose. Abram becomes Abraham. Simon becomes Peter. Saul becomes Paul. God gives them a new name because he gives them a new purpose, a new calling, a new direction in their lives. And so this morning, I want to take a look at at the name of this baby who we celebrate at Christmas. Now, likely you have read this story, heard this story a hundred times, but I would guess that you have probably brushed past these names. And so we're going to take a look at Matthew's account of this story. So if you have your Bibles, grab them. We're going to be in Matthew 1, and we're going to look at the two names that, that Matthew gives us at the birth of this baby. 
Now, like I said, this is a familiar story, but let me just set up the scene. Mary and Joseph are engaged to be married. Mary becomes pregnant by the power of the Holy Spirit. Joseph knows he's not the father of this child. And so he decides he is going to quietly end this relationship. And here's where we pick up the story. Matthew 1 verse 20. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. God says to Joseph, you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. And then Matthew goes on and he quotes the prophet Isaiah who said some seven centuries before Jesus is born that this baby's name was to be Emmanuel, which means God with us. In these two names, Jesus and Emmanuel, we see God's purpose and God's presence. And in seeing God's purpose and God's presence, we rediscover the wonder of God's love. The incarnation, the act by which the eternal, infinite, uncreated son of God becomes one of us, reveals the magnitude of God's love for us. And so what I want to do this morning is I just want to take a look at these two names, Jesus and Emmanuel, and share with you God's purpose and God's presence in sending Jesus. And then I'll close with three applications for our lives as we consider the wonder of God's love during this season of Advent. Okay, so let's begin with the name Jesus. And we see here God's purpose. Jesus is the Greek form of the Hebrew name Yeshua, which means the Lord saves. Now, most world religions began with a teacher, a sage, or a prophet. Uh, uh, someone who gives a set of teachings, a set of guidelines or rules to follow. Do these things, follow these rules, adhere to these guidelines, and you can be right with God. But that's not what God does. God doesn't send us a, a teacher. He sends us a savior. He sends us his son. God doesn't send us a prophet to tell us how to come to him. God himself comes to us. The gospel is not good advice about what you must do. The gospel is good news about what's been done for you. Advice tells you that it's all up to you. You have to make it happen. You have to figure it out. But news tells you what someone else has done for you. The birth of Jesus is a gospel. It's good news, an announcement about what's been done for you. The message of Christmas isn't, Hey, things are going pretty good down there in, on the earth. I mean, you got a few problems, racism, poverty, pandemics, but, but you can do this. You got this. You can figure this out. We all know that's not the case. The message of Christmas is things are really bad. We're lost. We can't rescue ourselves. The world is broken and fractured. And way back in the garden, sin entered the world and infected us to the very core of our being. 
You and I are not smart enough, strong enough, savvy enough, or successful enough to save ourselves. A while back, I sprained my ankle. And I'd sprained my ankle before, and so I knew it was pretty bad. But I decided I was going to take care of it on my own. And so I did what we all do. I googled what to do for a sprained ankle. And I did all of it. I rested it, I iced it, I elevated it. And then about a month later, I tried to run on it. Except I couldn't. It was swollen and painful and aching. And I knew something was really wrong. But I thought, if I just run harder, it will get better. If I just work harder, run more, run harder, I can heal myself. Now, you know what happened. Progressively, it got worse until about four months later, I knew I needed to get some help. I needed someone outside of myself. I needed a doctor, an expert, someone with authority, skills, and knowledge to help heal my ankle. Now, I heard you laughing. You think I acted foolishly. Because why wouldn't I just go to the doctor? And why would I ever think that more or more running would heal my ankle? That doesn't make any sense. And I admit that you're probably right. (laughs) But isn't that what so many of us do with our lives? We know we're broken. We know we're sinners, but we try to do everything we can to heal ourselves. So we work harder. We try to keep the rules. We try to make ourselves acceptable to God, but we can't do it. We need someone outside of ourselves to heal us. We need the only one who can truly heal us to do for us what we cannot do for ourselves. We can't fix us. Only Jesus can. And so God reaches out to us in love and he gives us his son, Jesus, to reconcile us to himself. And Jesus, the son of God, comes to earth as a frail, helpless baby to show us that he has come for the weak, for those who will admit that they are weak and cannot fix themselves. And friends, whenever we gaze upon the manger, the cross is never far from our view. Jesus saves us not by our performance, but by his performance. He lays aside all of his power, all of his majesty, and he dies to save us. In his first advent, our king comes not to sit on a throne, but to die on a cross. He takes our place. He pays the penalty that you and I owe for the rebellious life that we chose to live. The gospel is not good advice about what you must do. The gospel is good news about what Jesus has done for you. Jesus came to save us from our sins. Let's take a look at the name Emmanuel. And here we will see God's presence. Long ago, Isaiah prophesied that this child that was to be born would be named Emmanuel, which means God with us. Jesus came to save us from our sins. This was God's purpose in sending him. But in the name Emmanuel, we see God's presence. God with us us three little words yet so incredibly powerful so let's take a look at each one of those words jesus is god now again god does not send a teacher a prophet or a sage he sends us his son and jesus does things that only god can do jesus uh, heals the sick he gives sight to the blind he raises people from the dead 
Jesus forgives people of their sins. And this outrages the religious leaders of his time so much that they say, who is this man who, who, who can forgive sins? Only God can forgive sins. But Jesus is no ordinary man. He's God. And so every sin that's committed, every wrong that's done is an offense against him because he is God. In Acts 11, Peter goes to visit Cornelius. And when he gets to Cornelius' house, Cornelius sees Peter and he falls at his feet in reverence. And Peter says, stand up because I am just a man like you. And yet, sometime earlier, when, Jesus, when Peter was first following Jesus, and Peter recognizes that Jesus is the son of God, Peter falls to his knees before Jesus. And he says, depart from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. Peter falls to his knees and he admits who he is before a holy God. And Jesus doesn't say, stand up, Peter, I'm just a man. No, because he's not just a man, he's God. And if Jesus is God, then he's not someone to be admired or someone who gives you good advice. If Jesus is God, then he is to be worshipped. He is the ultimate love, the supreme beauty of your life. He is the most valuable, beautiful, necessary, most important thing in your life. He is not your consultant, your mentor, or your coach. If Jesus is God, then we must center our lives on him. John Stott writes this. If you read the Bible, you'll see that nobody who ever met Jesus ever had a moderate reaction to him. There are only three reactions to Jesus. They either hated him and wanted to kill him. They were afraid of him and and wanted to run away. Or they were absolutely smitten with him. And they tried to give their whole lives to him. Throughout the gospels, we see that when people come face to face with Jesus, they don't say, great talk, Jesus. I mean, you killed it with that parable. That's not what happens. When people encountered Jesus, they either hated him, they were afraid of him, or if they recognized that he was God, they fell in love with him and they gave their very lives away to him. And yet there are so many today who believe in Jesus, but their lives haven't been transformed. They think he has some good things to say, maybe some good advice to give, but that's about it. But if Jesus is God, that truth ought to radically alter our lives. Jesus is Emmanuel. He is God. Let's take a look at that second word, with. Jesus is Emmanuel, God with us. John writes this in his gospel. The word, that's Jesus, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father full of grace and truth. Eugene Peterson puts it this way in the message translation. Jesus became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. Throughout the scriptures, when God appeared to humans, he comes in a form that is often terrifying and awesome. It's almost too much for them to bear. He appears to Abraham in Genesis 15 as a blazing torch and a smoking fire pot. Later on, he comes to Moses and Moses asks God to show him his glory. He wants to see the weightiness, the grandeur, the greatness of all that God is. And God says, Moses, you cannot see my face because anyone who sees my face will surely die. 
And so he puts Moses in the cleft of a rock. And he says, Moses, I will pass by you. But all you can see is my back. And yet, consider this. Yet in Jesus Christ, God comes to dwell with us. He moves into the neighborhood. To say Jesus is God with us means that God wants to have an intimate relationship with you. In Jesus, the indescribable, overwhelming, terror-provoking God becomes a human who you can know and love and who you can have a relationship with. Friends, you and I have access to God in a way that Abraham and Moses could have never imagined. Moses could not see the face of God, but you and I can meet with God because of Jesus Christ. Jesus is the God who is with us. That truth ought to blow our minds. Let's take a look at the third word, us. Jesus is Emmanuel, God with us. God doesn't come in Jesus as a smoking fire pot or a blazing torch. Instead, God comes as a baby. Now, what do you do when you see a baby? Right? We all do the same thing. We ooh and we ah and we want to hug them and cuddle with them and kiss them. And we're tender with them because they're delicate and fragile. Babies are absolutely helpless. They can't feed themselves, change themselves, defend themselves. They they can't soothe themselves. They are needy and vulnerable. And the God of the universe, the one who holds all things together, the the one who created all things, comes to us as a baby. Jesus comes as a weak, vulnerable baby to remove any obstacles between us and God. He comes in the most unassuming, non-threatening way to show us that he is someone that we can be close to. Dorothy Sayers, the English scholar and writer, says this. The incarnation means that for whatever reason, God chose to let us fall into a condition of being limited. To suffer, to be subject to sorrows and death. He has nonetheless had the honesty and the courage to take his own medicine. He himself has gone through the whole of human experience, from the trivial irritations of family life and the cramping restrictions of hard work and lack of money to the worst horrors of pain and humiliation, defeat, despair, and death. He was born in poverty and suffered infinite pain, all for us, and thought it well worth his while. Jesus is fully God, fully man. And that means he knows what it's like to be us. And he doesn't know in some kind of all-knowing God kind of way. He knows because he's experienced the gamut of human emotions. He knows what it's like to feel alone. He knows what it's like to be rejected, betrayed, and abandoned by the people you love most. He's experienced poverty and suffering and death. He doesn't come as a noble king to sit on a throne. He doesn't come as a member of the ruling upper wealthy class who who lives in some kind of castle. He comes as a helpless baby born to a peasant girl. He lives his early years as a refugee. He never owns a home. And in the end, he dies a criminal's death and is laid in a borrowed tomb. This is our God. Tim Keller says this. Christianity says, God has been all the places you have been. He has been in the darkness you are in now and more. And therefore, you can trust him. 
You can rely on him because he knows and has the power to comfort, strengthen, and bring you through. Jesus is Emmanuel, God with us. We see God's purpose in sending his son in the name Jesus. He came to save us from our sins. The gospel is not good advice. It's good news about what's been done for you. We see God's presence through sending his son in the name Emmanuel. Jesus is God with us. God does not send us a teacher, a prophet, or a sage. He sends us his son. He doesn't send us a prophet to tell us how to come to him. He himself comes to you. And to say Jesus is God with us means that God wants to have an intimate relationship with you. In Jesus Christ, the indescribable, terror-provoking, overwhelming God becomes a human who you can know and love and who you can have a relationship with. Jesus is fully God, fully a man, and that means he understands us because he knows what it's like to be us. Do you see the lengths that God would go to to get to you? Do you see the extent of God's love for you? Some of you have a hard time believing that God God loves you. But look at what God did to be with you. He did not spare his own son. God becomes a helpless, frail, vulnerable baby. God becomes one of us. Do you see the wonder of God's love? If Jesus is God, you must center your life on him. The only right response as we gaze upon that baby in the manger, the the king over all the earth, the only right response is worship, is to see him as the supreme beauty, the ultimate love of your life. The uncreated, eternal, infinite God came for you. And as we consider the wonder of God's love in doing that, let me share with you three applications for our lives. Here's the first one. Jesus came to save his people from their sins. So you must admit that you're a sinner. Admit your weaknesses and your failures. Because some of you have been trying to do everything you can to fix yourself. To save yourself. And all your efforts have been useless. God doesn't come to tell us what to do to be saved. Jesus comes to do what we cannot do for ourselves. He gives up all of his power, all of his majesty, and he dies to save us. He takes our place. He pays the penalty that you and I rightly owed. We're not smart enough, strong enough, successful enough, or savvy enough to save ourselves. And maybe you're sitting here and you've been living in guilt and shame. You know you've messed up. You, you know you failed. And you've been trying to pay for it through your accomplishments and through your achievements. And, and some of you know that you're never going to measure up. And so you find yourself stuck in unhealthy patterns of self-destructive behavior. Some of you are sitting here and there's never been a moment in your life where you have admitted that you're a sinner. There are others of you that maybe there was that moment where you admitted you were a sinner. And you put your trust in Jesus. But ever since then... You've been living like it's all up to you. And so you've been working so hard to check off everything on your religious checklist. And you hope that that's enough. You try to do everything you can to earn God's love and approval when you already have it. You are loved. You are delighted. You are accepted by the God of the universe right now. All you need is to admit your need. 
to bring him your weaknesses and your failures. And in your weakness, let him show himself strong. Will you admit that you're a sinner? Will you bring him your weaknesses and failures? Here's a second application. Jesus is Emmanuel, God with us. And so you must surrender your life to him. Jesus is God. And so you must give him control of your life. And I don't think anyone understands surrender better than someone in recovery from an addiction. As part of the 12 steps of recovery, they say this. We admit we are powerless and that our lives have become unmanageable. We make a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God. Jesus is not your consultant, your coach, or your advisor. He is God. And that means you must submit your life to him. And this isn't a one-time thing. It's something that we have to do over and over again. Because as humans, we have this tendency to, to want to be in control. And oftentimes we struggle with fear and anxiety because we think we need to be in control. And for many of us, control was this coping mechanism that we used to cope with trauma or Difficult circumstances in our lives. But friends, we don't have to try to be in control. Because there is a God who is good and loving. Who is truly in control of our lives. And we can surrender to him even if we don't understand his ways. I struggle with control. With the need for control. And a few months ago, I felt the Lord inviting me into a deeper place of surrender. And so I wrote these words in my journal. Surrender is the ability to live without the need for control over the outcomes of my life. It is yielding my life to God based on a deep trust in his character. If Jesus is God, how can I not surrender my life to him? Will you surrender your life to Jesus? Third application, Jesus is Emmanuel, God with us, so you can trust him with your life. Jesus knows what it's like to be us. He's not remote or indifferent to what we experience. He's not distant. He has immersed himself into our humanity, and he's experienced the gamut of human emotions. Whatever you're going through today, he understands, and he's with you. He understands the pain of a broken relationship. He understands the agony of suffering of a debilitating disease. He's with you in the, in the pain of grief over the loss of someone you love. And he's with you in the anxiety of financial difficulties. He is with you. You might not understand or know the reasons for your suffering, but you know what the reason isn't. It isn't because he doesn't love you. Because he has gone to the greatest lengths to show you how much he loves you. He comes for you. He finds you. He gives his life to you. Will you put your trust in the one who is with you? Jesus came to save us from our sins. This was God's purpose in sending us his son. But he doesn't intervene from a distance. He comes near. God gives us his presence because Jesus is Emmanuel. God with us. And so we come to the table this morning. And we are reminded of God's great love for us. Jesus lays aside his power and his majesty and he puts on skin and bones and he becomes one of us. He enters into time and space to rescue us. And friends, when we consider the manger, the cross is never far from our view. 
Maybe you're sitting here this morning and you've never actually put your trust in Jesus. Listen to me, this moment is for you. Do you see the lengths that God would go to to be with you? The invitation of Jesus is, will you be with him? Thank you for listening to this teaching from Irving Bible Church. For more information on how to join us on a Sunday or take your next step, visit irvingbible.org.